Today's daf is Lamed Chet in, uh, in Pesachim. We are on Lamed Zayin Amud Bet. We are the third line from the bottom of the Amud, the last word. So I guess you could count that really as the two lines from the bottom. But uh, the last word on the third to the last line. Amar Rav Asi, Isa Shal Basishini, Levere B'Meir Ptua Menachala, Levere Chachamim Chayevet B'Chala. So we're still involved in this whole issue of Chala and, of course, the definition of bread. So the so he says, Rav Asi said, now remember that, that it's going to be significant that this is Rav Asi's interpretation. Rav Asi is saying that according to Rabbi Meir, there, and there, according to him, there's a machloket between Rabbi Meir and the Chachamim on the following issue. Isa shel Maser Sheni, a person goes and they take their, gra- their grain up to Yerushalayim. This is the Maser Sheni. So in the cycle of Shemitah, first, second, and uh, fourth and fifth years, you separate one tenth of your produce from Maser Sheni. Maser Sheni is, you're allowed to eat it, it just has to be eaten in Yerushalayim. If the person is not able to schlep it, as they say, to Yerushalayim because it's too heavy or for whatever practical reason, they're allowed to redeem it on money. They take the money and in Israel, I mean, in Yerushalayim, rather, they purchase foods that they're able to eat. The Torah describes in detail uh, this process. They take the money and they uh, and they and they buy food there and they eat the food there. Now the question is, Isashal Master Shani, a person comes to Yerushalayim with the Master Shani. Let's say they bring their grain. They don't redeem it for money. Let's assume, right? So they bring their grain, and while they're in Yerushalayim, they knead it into a dough. They make it into a dough. They're going to make it into bread because they're going to eat it there. So the question is, do you have to separate chala from this dough or not? He says the divrei rabbi meir According to Rabbi Meir, you do not have to separate chala from this dough. According to Chachamim, Chayevet B'chala, you do. Now, what's the question? Because, as Rashi explains on the side here, in Masechet Kiddushin, there is a machloket between Rabbi Meir and the Chachamim, whether Maaser Sheni is really considered yours or not. According to Rabbi Meir, Maaser is Mamon Gavoa. It really belongs to Hashem. It doesn't really belong to you. And Chala, it says, it says, Arisotechem, which means the, your dough. Chala has to be your dough. Not Hashem's. So since this Maser Sheni is not really yours, it's really, so to speak, belongs to Hashem. You have to eat it in Yerushalayim. Therefore, you don't have to separate Chala. The rabbis say no. That the fact that the Torah gives you the permission to eat it, even though it says you have to eat it in Yerushalayim, it's yours. And therefore, you must separate Chala from the Maser Sheni when you go to Yerushalayim and give that to the Kohen. So that's what Ravasi says. That is an implication of the Machloket between Rabbi Meir and the Chachamim, whether you would have to separate Chala. Similarly, on Amud Aleph of Lamed Chayet, Matzot Shel Maser Sheni. Can you make Matzah out of Maser Sheni? Ledivrei Rabbi Meir, En Adam Yotzei Ba'yidei Chovatav Pesach. According to Rabbi Meir, you will not be able to use this Matzah for Pesach. If you make Matzah out of Maser Sheni, you won't be able to use it. Now we saw that there was already a discussion about this before, right? So now this, so this in a way is a, but it's not for the same reason. Okay, so that's why it's bringing it again. Chachamim say yotzei adam. It shouldn't make a difference. Now Rashi again explains. Even though he might not agree, Rabbi Meir doesn't agree with Rabbi Yosei Aglili. Rabbi Yosei Aglili had said that the reason why you can't use Maser Sheni for Matzah is because Matzah is lechem only. Matzah is supposed to be bread of affliction, and Maser Sheni has to be eaten b'simcha. So therefore, it's a contradiction. Rabbi Meir doesn't have to agree with that. He's just saying the reason why is because it's not really yours. Maser Sheni has one mitzvah; it belongs to Hashem, so to speak. You have to you have to fulfill your obligation to Hashem. 
with this with this uh, dough. So you're not allowed to use that for the matzah. The chachamim say no, it belongs to you. Same logic, okay? And then etrog shel maser sheni. Similarly, you bring an etrog of maser sheni. So you're an etrog farmer, and so you bring one tenth of your uh, etrogim up to Yerushalayim for maser sheni. And you cannot use it for your etrog in the lulav. It's the same exact issue. In other words, it does does it really belong to you or not? Does the does the uh, produce of Maser Shini belong to you or belongs to Hashem? If you say that it belongs to you, then all these mitzvot, you would be able to do it. Uh, but if you say that it belongs to Hashem, so then it's not really yours and you cannot fulfill all of these other mitzvot. Now, Matkiv, Papa, raise an objection here. Bishlam, we understand by chala. It says by chala, which means your dough. You have to take chala from it. It's not yours. Mishalachem, it has to be yours. And according to Rabbi Meir, it's not yours. Similarly, it says about the etrog, it has to belong to you. Take for yourself the etrog and the love. It has to be yours. And therefore, if you're saying Maser Sheni is not yours, then you wouldn't be able to use it. However, but where does it written that it has to be your matzah? It doesn't say the word matzatchem. It just says matzot. So why does it have to be yours? Why can't you use this matzav maser sheni for the, according to Rabbi Meir, it doesn't follow. In other words, we understand why he doesn't allow you to use an etrog. We understand why he doesn't allow you to, to, uh, the, of maser sheni. We understand why you don't have to separate chala, but why not matzah? Matzah doesn't, there's no requirement that it be yours. The, the reason is, Rava says, and some say it was Ravi Amar said, there is a gzerah shavav, the word lechem. It says by matzah lechem oni, it has to be the bread of affliction. And over there it's talking about chalav. It says when you eat from the bread of the land, you should separate chalav from it. So, just like over there by chalav, it says it has to be yours. So there's a gzerah shavav between the mitzvah of chalav, that the dough has to belong to you and the mitzvah of matzah so basically it's claiming that it's the same concept that the matzah has to belong to you in the case of matzah just like it has to belong to you in the case of chalam and it can't be something that really belongs to Hashem and this whole discussion um, actually there's a whole discussion around this so, so therefore really you know matzah the, the matzah mitzvah on the night of the seder has to belong to the person what if the you know and so on there's a whole discussion about it now remember all of this was Rav Asi Rav Asi was saying I drew three implications from the statement of, uh, 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 from this machloket between Rabbi Meir and the Chachamim. Three implications I drew from it. The first implication was that you can't, se- you don't have to separate chala from Maser Sheni. The second one was that you cannot use Netrog of Maser Sheni. The third one was that you can't use Matav Maser Sheni. These are three Im- things that Rav Asi derived, okay? Now it says, Lema Misayayala, is the support for it. That the Isa Shel Maser Sheni Pturah it says that the dough of Maser Sheni is exempt from Chalad, so there you go. That's exactly what Rav Asi said. So the Gemara's language is funny though. What do you mean? Here's a support for Rav Asi. It literally says what he said. What do you mean it's a support? How could you get more of an obvious validation than that? Lema misayele usually means maybe we could find a support. What do you mean maybe we could find a support? It's literally written in black and white. What Rav Asi said in a Brayta, so, so obviously he's right. So it says, no, no, no. We can't, in other words, it's saying that true that Rav Asi has a clear source for his position that Rabbi Meir and, Rabbi, and the Chachamim argue about whether you separate Chala from Maser Sheni. That's true. But what about the other two cases? Do we have support for the other two cases? Maybe over by Chala, because it says, 
twice in the passage of Chala, it mentions that it has to be yours. So therefore, that's why it's so, uh, Rabbi Meir says over there that Maser Sheni is not included, that that extra arisotechem, that certain twice, shows you that Maser Sheni is not included. But maybe Etrog, he would be more lenient. He would allow you to use the Etrog of Maser Sheni. Maybe when it comes to Matzai, he would allow you. So Rav Asi, that's Rav Asi's own interpretation of Rabbi Meir. Uh, everybody seems to agree that the Machloka between Rabbi Meir and the Chachamim pertains to a case of whether you have to separate chala from the dough. But that could be because chala is exceptional that there's a strong emphasis that it has to be yours. Whereas when matzah and etrog, it's not as strong of an emphasis. Maybe Rabbi Meir would allow you to use Maser Shini in that case. But Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish asked, let me just mix it up some more because it's not, it, it's not fair. This is too easy and we actually understand what we're talking about. So we need to make it more complicated. Right? What about Chalashel Maser Shini? In other words, a person comes, now obviously it's talking about according to the Chachamim, that you separate Chala from Maser Shini, okay? Now, you separate Chala from Maser Shini, meaning you brought your grain up from wherever, from Haifa, I'm making it up, right? You bring it to, uh, to Yerushalayim from Maser Shini, and while you're there, you're making a dough, and you're, you're, you have to give the portion to the Kohen, according to the Chachamim. So you, you give this portion of the dough, this Chala, to the Kohen. Now the question is, now, can the, it's right before Pesach. So can this Kohen now use that for Matzat Mitzvah? Can he use it for the Mitzvah of Matzah? That's the question now. So certainly, according to Rabbi Yosef Aglili, there's no question that he cannot. Because we already said, Rabbi Yosef Aglili says, Maser Sheni cannot be used for Matzah. What was the reason? According to Rabbi Yosef Aglili, not according to Rabbi Meir, that, it has to be, that it's not considered yours. Here we're saying it is yours. But according to Rabbi Yosef Aglili, since Maser Sheni has to be eaten besimcha, with joy, I didn't eat from it when I was sad, it cannot be lechem oni, it can't be the bread of affliction, so it's disqualified. So certainly if it's disqualified, then the chala you take from it is not going to be any better. It's also going to be disqualified, so forget about your Rabbi Yosef Aglili. Rabbi Akiva allowed you to use Maser Sheni for the for the. So I'm just going to explain all of what that long line means. Basically, what he's saying is this. That we said that what was the reason for Rabbi Akiva saying that you could use Maser Sheni for your Matzah? Because it has to be it has to be matzah that's good. Bechol moshevotechem tochlu matzot. It says bechol moshevotechem tochlu matzot. So the Torah says, meaning matzah has to be something that can be eaten anywhere. So the question is, what about maser sheni? It can't be eaten anywhere. It can only be eaten in Yerushalayim. So it says no, because if that maser sheni becomes tamei, even if it was in Yerushalayim. Right? In other words, you could say, well, Maser Sheni, anywhere in the world, you could always redeem it and take the money and then, and then, and eat it anywhere in the world. But what about Maser Sheni that's actually in Yerushalayim? There's no redeeming it in Yerushalayim. Not true, because if it becomes Tameh, you could redeem it. So therefore, Maser Sheni is really potentially eatable anywhere in the world. Right? That's the, that, that's why Rabbi Akiva said it's considered Bechola Moshavot. It's edible anywhere because if it does become Tamei, it, it could be eaten anywhere because you would redeem it. Even if you had already brought the Yerushalayim, you could redeem it and you could uh, eat it elsewhere if it became Tamei. But Chala, so, so you might say, well, just like there's a, uh, <coughs> you know, so, but you could say, but Chala is different. Why? Because once you separate Chala and give it to the Kohen, if the Chala becomes Tamei, you don't redeem it, you burn it. Right? That's actually what we usually do here with Chala if we separate, right? Most of the time, that's what we do. So, so you burn it. 
So since you, you, it's going to be burnt, you won't say it's okay b'chol moshavot. In other words, when it was just regular maser sheni, if it became tamei, okay, now I redeem it and I can eat that anywhere. And I just take the money and I buy new maser sheni. However, if it's chalav maser sheni and it becomes tamei, it can, in other words, once it becomes chalav maser sheni that I give to the Kohen, it never has the, it can never be eaten anywhere but Yerushalayim. Because that, because it can't be redeemed. If it becomes tamei, it will be, uh, it, it will be burnt. And if it stays pure, it can only be eaten in Yerushalayim. So it loses that special advantage of bechol moshavot that it's allowed to be eaten anywhere. Because that kohen that receives the chalav maserchen, he can only eat it in Yerushalayim or burn it. That's it. There's no way it could be eaten anywhere else. So on one hand, you could say chalas shel maserchen is worse, more strict. You can't use it for matzah because it's not allowed bechol moshavot. Or you could say that since if he had not designated that portion as chala and it had become tamay it would have been allowed to be used that's what it says if he had not designated it and it had become tamay just as regular then it would have been allowed anywhere to be eaten and he could, that's why he could have used it for matzah because it had the potential to be eaten elsewhere so we could say the same thing with regard to the chala uh, since it, you, you arbitrarily designated this component of your dough to be chalab, but five minutes ago before you did that, it was just Maser Sheni, and if it had become Tamei at that stage, it would have been able to be eaten anywhere. So maybe we retain that original status, and we don't say now that it became chalab, we're going to make it any different than it was before. Okay? So now it says, Ikad Amrei, Havadai Loti We definitely say that the chalab is not going to be any worse because it became chalab. And since Maser Sheni, if it became Tamei, would have been able to be eaten anywhere. And this Chala, until just two seconds ago before you designated it, also could have become Tamei and been eaten anywhere. We're going to say that it retains that advantage. But, further complication, everybody, because if you bring actual physical Maser Sheni to Yerushalayim, Okay? You can redeem it at any time before you get to Yerushalayim. Once you get to Yerushalayim, if it comes to Tamei, you could redeem it. What about if you already redeemed the Maser Sheni at home? Okay? In other words, you took money and you designated it as Maser Sheni. You transferred the holiness from the Maser Sheni uh, crop onto these coins. Now you take the coins up to Yerushalayim and now you buy something. Can those I, or you buy something even before you get to Yerushalayim, on the way, whatever. Can that stuff that you buy be redeemed? That itself is a machloket between the Chachamim and Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says, it's already a derivative Kiddushah. So one, one thing we learned when we learned Kodashim is that there's an irony, there's like sort of a twist to the idea of redemption. That you can redeem certain things, but there are certain things that are too weak of a Kiddushah to be redeemed. Because in order to redeem, that means that some new object has to receive the Kiddushah in place of the original object. Right? Yeah. So, but if that original object, the Kiddushah is so weak that it can't even be transferred, so then you can't actually remove the Kiddushah from that original thing. Okay? So that Rabbi Uda says that about that things that are bought with the money of, of Maser Sheni. Since the Maser Sheni money was already a derivative. It already derived its holiness from the original uh, produce. Now you bought something with that and it gets the Kedushah of Maser Sheni. But according to, according to Rabbi Yudha, that's too weak of a Kedushah. You can't redeem that anymore because it doesn't even, what are you going to do? Transfer it to yet another thing, yet another thing. It's so diluted already, forget it. That's what Rabbi Yudha says. The Chachamim say no. 
even so, even though it, it, it acquired, in other words, there's already multiple steps here. The original produce that was Master Shemi transferred that onto the money. The money, you bought something else. Now you're redeeming that something else again. They said it, it doesn't matter. The same Kedusha that was in the original Master Shemi will be in the thing that you buy with the money of the Master Shemi. It doesn't become diluted as a result. Okay? So. You could drink drinks and food and things like that. I don't know about Coca Cola. It's probably considered water, but, you know, it's uh, bad water, too. Um, but it's, yeah, I don't think it would be, but you can't, you have to buy, like, wine you could buy. Yeah, so, anyway, it says, so the question is like this. So, again, according to the rabbis, it's no question according to the rabbis. In other words, according to them, there's no difference between pro, between what you buy with the money of Maser Sheni and what you buy, and the Maser Sheni itself. But, according to Rabbi Yehuda, who says that no, Maser Sheni that you bought with money of Maser Sheni, in other words, it's already two steps removed from the original Maser Sheni, that you cannot redeem it anymore. You have to burn it. Why? Chachamim say that if a person had bought with the money of Maser Shani, bought produce, and it became Tamei, you can redeem it according to Chachamim. Rabbi Yudah says, no, you have to bury it. It can't be redeemed anymore. Why? Because the Kiddushah is too diluted. It can't even transfer anything new. So you just lost the mitzvah, basically, according to that. You can't do it anymore with that food that became Tamei, according to Rabbi Yudah. Now, Question is like this. We just said before that that uh, if you have Maser Sheni, that you wanted to, you took Chala from the Maser Sheni. So we said that since before it was designated as Chala, right? If you had said, uh, if you hadn't designated it and it had become Tamei, it would now have been able to be eaten anywhere. Okay, so maybe, so therefore, it is considered something that's edible in any place. Even though right at this moment, you designate it as chalat, it's, it's more complicated, right? But, but before that, it wasn't that way, so it would have been allowed. So he says, over here, what do we say? If this were regular, ordinary maser sheni, we wouldn't have a question, like we said before. We would simply say that the, uh, that because if it had, if it had become tamay, it would be allowed to be eaten in any place. Therefore, we also say that even though you now designated it as truma, we, we don't care about, I mean, as chala, we don't care about that, right? And, uh, and therefore it's considered to be edible in any place. But, or, or maybe we'll say, we can't say treho'il. We can't say two, Ifs. We can't use two hypotheticals because what was the hypothetical before? Hypothetical before was if I hadn't designated this component as chala and it had stayed as regular maser sheni, it would have been allowed. So why should the fact that I just designated as maser sheni, as, as chala from the maser sheni, why should that make it any worse? Right? That was what we said before. Now we're saying if I had purchased the, in other words, I purchased this, this chala. Uh, this uh, Maser Sheni, rather, with the money of Maser Sheni, right? Which means it's not redeemable. Which means we already have a problem. Which is that since it's not redeemable, even if it became Tamei, it's not redeemable. Therefore, it's not really edible in any place. Right? It's not really edible in any place in the world. Because if it became Tamei, this Maser Sheni that I bought with the money, according to Rabbi Yehuda, not according to the Chachamim, according to Rabbi Yehuda, you can no longer redeem it. It has to go in the garbage, right? It has to be buried. Right, according to the Chachamim, it's the same as regular Maser Shani. If it became Tamei, you redeem it and you buy a new one. But according to Rabbi Yehuda, that if you, that if it, be, if this, that you purchased with money of Maser Shani becomes Tamei, you just have to bury it. So it doesn't really have this permission of Bechola Moshavot, that it would ever be able to, um, uh, to be eaten in any other place. Right? So the question is this, can we say, if this had been purchased, 
with money, not with money, but was it was actually the actual Maser Sheni, so then if it became Tamei, it would be redeemable. So here, even though it was purchased with money, I should also say it's just like regular Maser Sheni. And if this chala that was separated, in other words, in other words it's, a sep- it's, a sep- it's a double hypothetical. Because normally, even we say, if I hadn't consider- this established this as chala, it would just be the re- regular Maser Sheni. And if it became Tamei, it would be allowed in any place. So even though it's right now chala, I'm still going to say that it's like Maser Sheni. We're saying a further thing. We're saying this Maser Sheni itself was purchased. It wasn't the original, right? So if it wasn't really purchased, right? And also if this chala hadn't really been designated as chala, but was just part of that original batch of tvoah, then I would be able to redeem it. So it's, a, it's two ifs. There's too many ifs, right? You know, so, saw that, saw that chala could be reversed, actually. Yeah, you can do shelat chacham, yeah. That's true. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't bring that issue, but you're right. Yeah, you can actually do that. You can actually do Did they ask that on the side? I don't I think so. Yeah, I don't remember seeing that either. But it's a good question. But anyway, so it says, Amarava mistabra shem maaser chadu. He said, no, you know what? We treat all maaser the same. So Rashi says, So he says the same thing would be true that once, once we're saying maaser sheni is allowed to be used for the mitzvah of matzah, and chala is also allowed to be used for the mitzvah of matzah. The fact that they combine together in this situation, we don't want to make the situation any worse. In other words, the fact that it's maser sheni and also chala, he says, maser sheni is maser sheni. We're saying it's okay for matzah. Chala is okay for matzah. It happens to be the intersection of matzah and chala makes it more complicated. But the, the bottom line is we're going to assume that all maser sheni is essentially created equal and we don't have to worry about the problem uh, that it was purchased and we don't have to worry about uh, and and, uh, and furthermore that it was chala. The, the question that I was wondering is how come it doesn't just go for the more basic question um, of uh, why Rabbi Yehud, what would Rabbi Yehuda just say about purchased purchased Maser Sheni? Because purchased Maser Sheni can't be redeemed. Yeah, but then it's only one ho'il. ho'il. Oh, he'll say ho'il that if it was right, because I guess that's the point. Yeah, because we already said you could use one ho'il, so he would agree with that, they're assuming. Right? He would agree with that. Okay. So he would agree that you could you can use one counterfactual if. To, right, so even though I bought it, if it hadn't been bought and I brought it from home, then it, if it had become tamay, it would be okay. But now I'm adding two ifs, saying if I had brought it from home and also this wasn't chala, then it would be okay, right? So yeah, so it's a double if. So they're assuming that he would agree with that if concept. Okay, so now moving to amud bet. So this is really oh we forgot to quote the bottom. We forgot the last line, right? So if you have the chalot toda, the loaves that go with the toda, which are matzah, and also the wafers that go with the korban of the nazir, that we said that they can't be used for matzah, right? So so it's for the mitzvah matzah. So where do we get the he said that the reason why is because matzah has to be guarded, has to be prepared l'shem mitzvah. And here it's not being guarded l'shem mitzvah for the sake of the mitzvah of matzah. It's being guarded for the sake of the mitzvah of the korban. That's a different mitzvah. It's a different thing. So it's not going to have the right status. Okay. However, uh, he says a different reason. He says it says you have to have matzot for for seven days. That there's a there's a big difference between uh, between the matzah and nazir and the matzah an ordinary person. You get matzah shmura in the beginning of Pesach. It's good for the whole week. It's good for the whole year, probably. You know, it's a, you can't even tell the difference after you know. It's a it's a hard cracker. It'll last you a while, right? However, the uh, if it's for once you link it to a zevach, you link it to a korban. The korban has one day and one night. Yom v'layla. 
right? So, so you, you, that it has a it has a uh, an expiration date on it. So that matzah has to be eaten within a certain time. Normally, matzah doesn't have a shelf life in terms of the the, the holiday, right? You buy the same matzah shmurah that you buy in the beginning, you eat the whole time. So when they have in mind for the matzat mitzvah, they don't have in mind it, it, that it, that after the moment of the night of Pesach, it's uh, the first night of Pesach, it's not valid. But here, if you had matzah and nazir's korban, that must mean that the korban actually was offered the day of Erev Pesach, let's say. Right? And you're using that. That actually literally by the morning will be invalid. Because the yom velayla will be over that you had. Right? So it's, or korban toda, same thing. It's only yom, yom velayla. So it won't be good. So he's saying that kind of matzah that has a shelf life and a time limit is no good. It has to be shivat yamim matzah. Any matzah has to be a matzah that would be good for the entire seven days according to Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef rather. We know that they were always two uh, colleagues and uh, they shared the leadership of the Jewish people and there's a whole story about the end of Horayot that we learned about you know them who was going to take over the yeshiva first and who was better and so on. Who was Sinai ve'okir harim. Anyway, so it says Rabbi Yosef Tanik v'atei de Rabbah lechol yitzayad so this is the derivation of Rabbah. That why can't you use the matzah of the nazir or the matzah of the korban todah? Because it says you guard the uh, uh, the matzah. Matzah mishtemeret l'shem matzah. matzah That this is something that was guarded and prepared for the sake of the korban. Not, so it's about the shmirah of the matzah. He's saying it's about the production of the matzah that's the problem. However, Tanya kavatei Rav Yosef. There's a brighter that supports Rav Yosef's interpretation that yachol adam this is the pasuk that Rav Yosef quotes that it says for seven days you eat matzot matzah necheret l'shiva yatzdazo shiva eliyom v'alayla this matzah has to be matzah that is eaten for seven days not only for one day and one night so the point is that according to, to Rav Yosef would say well according to Rabbah if the person had in mind that this was l'shem matzah as well as l'shem the korban it wouldn't be a problem Right, because it would, because all that Rabbi is saying is that you don't have in mind for the mitzvah, the mitzvah of matzah. You only have in mind for the korban. So according to Rabbi, if you have in mind also for the matzah, it should be okay. But according to Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yosef, it doesn't matter. Even if you have both intentions, you intend for the mitzvah of matzah and you also intend for the korban, it won't be good because the mitzvah of the korban contradicts the mitzvah of matzah because the matzah has a has a seven day has to be good for seven days and the and the korban limits it to one day. Right? What about the whole question of lechemoni? Because we said lechemoni is bre- it has to be, and it has to be bread of affliction, like we saw Rabbi Yosi Aglili brought before. And over here, it has to be eaten b'simcha because the korban of the nazir is on the completion of his nazirut. It's like a siyum. All shlamim, korban shlamim in the Torah is always a, a, a simcha. It's always a, it's always related to joy, right? So korban toda, obviously, thanking God. Korban nazir is completion. It's a siyum of his period of nazirut. It's a happy time. How could it be that that could be matzah when matzah has to be lechem only bread of affliction? So it says He obviously these tanaim are not agreeing, or the, or these interpretations, these brightot are not agreeing with Rabbi Yosef that there's a problem with that the bread has to be not a, a bread of simcha. They're agreeing with Rabbi Akiva who said that, no, it says ani. It doesn't have a vav. It says ani, which means that the bread itself has to be not rich, not rich matzah with added ingredients. But it doesn't mean that the, that it has to be done in a state of simcha. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, in a state of affliction, right? So it, it's fine to do it in a state of simcha. What about the fact that chalot todah have, have an extra ingredient? They have oil in them. 
Right, the matzah, the rikikin azir, and the, the, the and the matzah, the uh, in the korban they have oil. So that's okay. not uh, that's not uh, yeah, it's matzah shirat. It's not it's not lechem oni. I mean, in other words, even according to Rabbi Akiva, that, according to Rabbi Akiva, that is the derivation lechem ani. It has to be something with no additives, right? No no oil. So it says Amar Shmuel Bar Avitzchak Riviiti. All they bring is a riviit of oil. Umitchalegi lechama chalot. There's a, they, they, it's such a small amount of oil because the amount of oil they bring is one container and they, they divide it over 20 or 30 different chalot depending which order, which uh, korban it is, if it's of the nazir or it's of the korban toda. They're dividing it over so many different chalot it's barely anything. So it's not like a tipa, a drop of oil is going to change the consistency of the matzah. So it, you don't have to worry about it. Ah, I was wondering that from the beginning, right? What about the fact that you can't eat it anywhere? Right, we said before that it has to be something that can be eaten anywhere. A korban cannot be eaten just anywhere. In fact, all of the uh, all the korbanot at best, meaning even the most lenient korban, has to be eaten in Yerushalayim. There's no korban that you can take home and eat in uh, in Haifa. You can eat in Tel Aviv. Everything has to be eaten in Yerushalayim at the minimum. Some have to be eaten on the precinct. Or the kochik or the shim, which no ordinary person ever eats, but the uh, kohanim eat, like chatat and all that, has to be eaten inside the Beit HaMikdash. But the, uh, but definitely within Yerushalayim, everything has to be eaten. So how could you use chalot toda rekike nazir? So Amar Lakish, zot omer, chalot toda nazir, nechalim benov vegivon. That shows you that they must have had also chalot toda rekike nazir and nov vegivon. What that means is that hypothetically at least, um, they, there's a whole discussion about what offerings could be brought in the various bamot that the Jewish people had before they had the Beit HaMikdash. Shiloh functioned, it seems like, like almost like a full Beit HaMikdash. That's why during the times of Shiloh, they had, like during the times of Eliyah Kohen and everything in the book of Shmuel, they had a full, fun- fully functional uh, situation there. So there were no bamot allowed in other places. But no on these were times of transition where uh, there was less... Um, uh, less centralized worship, so the bamot individual bamot were allowed during that time. That's why that's why Shmuel tells Shaul, "Oh, I'm going to do a uh, a korban." Shmuel is doing a korban when Shaul meets him. He's doing a korban a lo- in a local uh, altar. So they they had local altars during that time of Novegivon um, that. Uh, that that uh, were not problematic. So so because these were not full beta mikdash status, there's a discussion about what kind of korbanot could be brought there. And according to some, only uh, very minimal uh, korbanot can be brought there. But Rashi explains here. He says, from the fact that we don't invalidate the um, the the, the matzav the nazir and the korban toda based on the fact that it can't be eaten in every place. What do you see from that? It must be that they weren't only allowed to be eaten in Yerushalayim. There were times where it could be eaten in other places. Not like Rabbi Shimon says. According to according to Rabbi Shimon, the only things that they could do were obligations, obligatory offerings that had a fixed time, meaning that you don't dis- determine like. Uh, like Korban Pesach and things like that. No, you see from here that, uh, and also not like the one that says uh, that in Novigivon they had uh, uh, other restrictions. He, he basically says that you see from this that they were able actually to have uh, uh, the Korbanot of Nizirim and of uh, Korban Toda even in these other places. So that up ends the uh, uh, the issue of Bechol Moshe It's very interesting though because, right, because... 
Because now, no, because it says, according to this, they could eat in any city of Israel. Right? During Nova Givon, whatever they could bring in the times of Nova Givon, in times of Shiloh, it had to be, you had to be able to see. As far as you could see Shiloh, that was the halacha. As far as you could see Shiloh, and if you go and you look at the excavation, you see the, how it was constructed, actually, that it was almost like an amphitheater type of uh, situation there. That, you know, it had an area that you could look and you could see where Shiloh was, where the Mikdash of Shiloh was from all around. So, they, anywhere you could see, it says you could you could eat the korban because they never have a wall around Shiloh. There's no wall, so in Yerushalayim they had a wall. So within the walls you could eat. In Shiloh it was as long as you could see. And and no vegivon. It was because they were not full batei mikdash really. So a, any city in Israel you could eat it in. So that would mean that you could eat the chalot todan rikikin nazir in any city. But that presupposes that you could bring rikik uh, korbanot of nazir and korbanot of toda. In these semi bate mikdash that were not full bate mikdash, so it's saying that that's this is obviously taking the opinion that that was possible, and and therefore that it was that it was possible to bring these korbanot even though they weren't obligatory, um, you know, from uh, you know from on high, they were things that people took upon themselves to do, right? They were able to bring them, meaning even though you create the obligation, you were able to bring them to Nova Givon, you were able to eat the korban in any place, any city, okay? But of course, the question still could be raised, yeah, but but right now. Now, you can't do that because once you have Yerushalayim and you have the Beit HaMikdash, you're not allowed to eat these korbanot and go to any city in Israel and eat them, even though once you were. But the idea is that since it's not built into the system exclusivity like that, meaning that there was the possibility of having these korbanot at least at some point in history in any place, even though right now they have to be in Yerushalayim, but hypothetically there was a time where they didn't have to be. So you can't say that those are invalid because Technically, at some point, it was bechol moshvotechem. Even though right now that might not be the case. Okay, so that's that, so that's the the conclusion. Now, Tanya said the bright. I'm Rabbi Eli. Shalti Rabbi Eliezer. Moshe said Adam chalot to daw kenazir. Now we just said that you can't. So uh, he said, I asked Rabbi Eliezer, can you use the chalot to or the wafers of the nazir for matzah? Amali said. Lo shamati, I didn't hear anything about that. So bati v'shalti defini Rabbi Yosua. I went and asked Rabbi Yosua. Amali said to me, "Haroi amur, chalot todav kikenazir." Shasan atzmo and Adam yotzebe yotzebe limkor bashuk yotzebe. That and that was what we saw before. That's in the Mishnah. What? That's in the Mishnah, right? So that if you made it for yourself for a particular obligation, then you can't use it for matzah. But if you made it to sell in the shuk, in other words, you, you said for sale, I have chalot uh, toda. You're bringing a toda. Come instead of having to worry about it, you just buy a pre-made. The, uh, one of these chalot from me. So if you did that, so then it would be okay. I went back to Rabbi Eliezer and I said to him, Amali, he said to him, Brit, by the covenant. It's like a way of saying like, uh, like a Lashon Shvu'at. It's like a type of a, uh, um, an oath. These are exactly the things that Hashem told Moshe at Har Sinai. But then, according to the other uh, version, it was the opposite. He said, by the covenant of Hashem, doesn't it require some kind of explanation? Meaning it was a, he was being sarcastic, according to the second version. According to the first version, it was like, wow, that's amazing. That makes so much sense. According to the second version, he said, I mean, according to the first version, saying, oh yeah, that's the tradition that we had. That's right. According to the second version, he was being sarcastic. Oh, what? This is handed down at Sinai. This is an arbitrary thing. There's no reason behind it. What difference does it make? You made it for your own obligation. You made it to sell in the shuk. What's the difference? So he says, what is the reason? Anything that's made for the shuk, the person basically leaves it on a condition. It's in doubt. Amar He says to himself, listen, if I manage to sell my inventory, Baruch Hashem, 
Right? That's good. Elo, Mr. Ben, if I don't, then I'll use it for my own matzah. In other words, the idea is that when you make it for a specific obligation that's your own, so the consecration as chalot toda or, or kikena zero is absolute because you're, you're designating it for your own obligation. But when you're just making it for maybe a person will, will, will use this for their chalot toda and their kikena zero, and then they're going to take it and consecrate it themselves for their own obligation, you're putting it in a sense al you're putting it kind of like on a condition and saying, listen, listen, if I don't get any customers, so I'll take it home and I'll have it in my sed. There's some extra matzah. No problem. Right? But if somebody shows up and buys it, so uh, all the better. So, that, so that's why there's a difference. Because when you make it for yourself, you're designating it for the fulfillment of a specific obligation. So from the beginning, your, your kavanah to use it for that sacrifice is definite and absolute. Because there's a definite reason. But when you're selling it, you don't know what customers you're going to get and what they're going to want. Maybe there won't be any customers or there won't be enough and you'll be left to some. So when you consecrated it, you didn't really consecrate it with a specific obligation in mind. You prepared it up to the specifications thinking if this is, you know, having in mind the condition that perhaps this will be used L'shem uh, mitzvah. So you had in mind L'shem mitzvah in general, but also if it, it on the condition that if there's nobody that comes along, I want it to be L'shem matzah, so then it will be okay. And that's how you leave it up. It's like the, uh, you know, they uh, used to, um, when they would have... Uh, uh, of, of families where there was que- questions about the Judaism of the family, the Jewishness of the family, the mother, whatever. They used to have, one of the things that they would do, uh, I know that uh, uh, Rabbi Sapir doesn't do this, he told me, but I, I, I remember that they, it was a very common thing that they would bring two other rabbis and they would do the milah l'shem gerut al t'nai. Meaning maybe this baby one day will be uh, converted in case the baby is like not, not Jewish or there's a question about the Judaism and he needs a, he needs to be converted. So they would do the giur al-tanai, like with the condition that they were, that maybe it would be, and, and apparently that was sufficient for them to say the brachot and everything on the milah. They, that was what the, that, that was, I, I saw many mo'alim do that and many mo'alim actually asked me to come when I was a kid, mainly, when I was a kid, when I was like a uh, teenager, asked me to come and be like uh, a witness to it so that they could do that. But the, you see from here this idea of al-tanai. So the, uh, it just reminded me of that. But the point is that they would, they, when it was lemchira, so it wasn't as definite of a consecration and therefore, um, therefore it was allowed to be used for the mitzvah. But if it is a definite consecration, so either according to what Rabbah said, that the reason is because having intent for these korbanot means not having intent for matzah, or like Rav Yosef said, because since you're creating a time limit on the matzah's use, by linking it to the korban, therefore it is not, uh, it's not acceptable for the mitzvah. Either way, that would go into effect if you link it with a specific obligation. So that's it.